Good morning. Welcome to Browncroft. So glad that you chose to join us this morning. We're in the middle of a series on 1 Corinthians, and we started a new part of that book that we're calling The Gathering. And it's all about how we together as a community, the church at large as a community, how do we function together against the things that are so trying to divide us in the here and now. And Paul is getting real-time information from a congregation, and he is trying to answer these real questions by real people, as I said, in real time, and giving them solutions. And we're going to look at one of those this morning. Thankfully, Rob led this off last week. Thank you so much, Rob, for um, talking about head covering so I don't have to. Um, And uh, today we're going to be talking about communion, or as this passage refers to it, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper. Now, the dominant theme, if you look at the theme and the metaphors of what it means to be a Christian in the New Testament, is really about becoming part of a new family, becoming part of the family of God in a really profound way. And, and you can tell a lot about a family by how they do meals together. As a matter of fact, this is one of my favorite things to, to talk about or to ask this question, whether it was college students or staff teams that I've led over the years. I typically will, will run this exercise with people after a little while. It, it goes something like this. Draw a picture of what your dinner table looked like when you were growing up. And uh, to lead off the conversation this morning, I did this the other day. So here you go. This is some of my artwork right here. Yes, Picasso, Da Vinci, Amayo, all the same. So, um, so, So this is a typical Sunday after a Sunday afternoon service. This is what it would look like in my family. Okay, so this is, what we're, this is what we're observing here. My dad is sitting there at the head of the table. He's got a fork and a hand. Here, here's, how, here's how it would go. P- about two to three bites into the sauce dinner. This is uh, always, the, we always have spaghetti and sauce on Sunday afternoons. About two to three bites in, my dad would slam the table and say, good meal, Betty. Um, Betty was my mom's name, so that's not weird. It, it was because that was her name. So we'd say, good meal, Betty. And then, you know, we would eat, we would commence, and then about, about three to four minutes into the meal, somewhere in there, uh, my dad would go into his secondary sermon. He was a preacher. So he would do a secondary sermon, reflecting back on his sermon that he had already preached, because it wasn't enough, so we had to get the secondary sermon. And so then, then my sister and I would then retort with the roasting of the pastor. That was kind of our response to the secondary sermon. And, and there was a real format that we used to have as a family, we had these, this dynamic that would went on. You see lots of hands raised there because it was very dynamic, very happy, very, you know, all this stuff was going on. Um, but one of the things I realize as I do this exercise with people is not everyone has the same family experience. Some of us, if we were to draw that up there, it would be a tray table, right? Sitting in front of a TV all by ourselves. For some of us, there would be significant people who we wish were there, but they aren't there. Their, their seat is empty. Or maybe for some of us, people were there that we wish weren't there. 
however you fill that in. But the way we do dinners really defines a lot of us as a family. And this goes on in the narrative of the story of the people of God. God asks us to remember what he's done for us, not by a speech, not by reciting something every year, but by observing a meal together. That's the narrative throughout the course of history. It didn't just start with Jesus. This actually happened thousands, a thousand years before Jesus that this really began. And for some of you familiar with the narrative of the Bible, you know that the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, were enslaved in Egypt, and they cried out to God and said, God, rescue us, and God heard their cry, and then he sent 10 plagues, and the final plague that he sent upon Egypt was the plague of the firstborn, and he told the Hebrew people, if you put the blood of an animal, a blood of the lamb, on the doorposts of your home, I will walk past you, and I will spare the lives of everyone in your house. But for the, for the Egyptians, he said, all the firstborn will die. And that festival that God wanted the people to remember was called Passover. So you fast forward through a thousand years, and Jesus sits with his disciples before he is about ready to die, and the last meal he has with them is this meal of Passover. And he gathers them around and he says, actually, this meal that we've been celebrating, this points to me. This is about me. My blood is the blood that's going to be shed on that doorpost, on that wood. My body will be broken for you. And the early church is figuring out how to celebrate this meal together, this meal uh, this new meal that Jesus institutes that we now, now call communion or the Lord's Supper. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 11, 17 is where we're going to pick this up. And I'm going to walk us through the passage uh, together this morning. Verse 17 says this. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. Uh-oh. Not where you want to start off, probably, right? For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this manner. Okay. We read that, we go, what in the world is going on with these people, right? Let me give you a little bit of a background. So the early church is made up with a wide variety of people. It's probably the first time in human history where such a mishmash of people can corporately gather together and be a part of one united thing, right? So you have everyone from slaves to merchants to sailors to athletes to the rich, influential people of the city are all part of this church in Corinth. Everybody is part of this one body together. It's revolutionary to think that they could all be in one place at one time. Well, where did they meet? Most likely 
in this day and age, because there weren't church buildings, they met in probably those richer people's homes. We're told that some, some of those richer, influential people in Corinth were actually a part of the church. There's one guy named Erastus, who Paul mentions three separate times, and he says that he is Paul's co-servant with him, and Erastus was actually the city treasurer of Corinth. So this means this guy was very influential, rich, and was probably hosting people at his house, maybe amongst other rich people in the city as well. So you have all of these rich people, you have poor people, you have slaves, everybody coming together at once saying, I want to be a part of this body of Christ, this new family. How do we do this? How do we live this out together? Well, there are no days off back in this day, if you went to ancient times. It wasn't like a common day off that people had. And so the richer people could gather earlier than the slaves could. So they would probably gather a little earlier in the day. And what was happening here is they were having this big feast. So before, before there was communion as we know about it, the early church celebrated what was called a love feast. And they would have a, a big meal together. And at the end of the meal, they would have the bread and the cup, which would signify what we call communion now. So this church is is gathered together, the, the richer people are in this home, and they are eating everything. They're eating everything they possibly can. They're shoving it down the gullet, right? And they're even eating the communion bread and drinking the communion wine before the poor people get there. So much that when the poor people show up, there's nothing for them. There's absolutely nothing. So imagine yourself, you're a slave, you've been working all day, and you walk in and you go, this is maybe my one opportunity for a great meal the whole week, right? And you walk in and you go, there's nothing for me. There's nothing here. That's the situation that was happening. And we might go like, what in the world is happening? And you're right. You, you should have that reaction internally. As a matter of fact, Paul has that reaction. He says, what in the world? I can't praise you for this. There's nothing about this that's good. Well, I don't know if you've ever had these type of things in your life where you have what in the world was I thinking kind of moments. Anybody have those here in this church? It's okay. It's safe. I'm about to share one of mine. Um, so uh, one of my buddies in college, uh, you know, he, it was his birthday, and his parents decided to send him a cake for his birthday. And his name was Eric. We called him E. And um, so, his, so Eric had this birthday cake sent to him. And me and my buddies, you know, were in the dorm, and all of a sudden this cake arrives. And everybody was like, well, this is cool. Hey, E's birthday. Where is he? Oh, he's at a night class. Oh, okay, sweet. Well, you know what he would probably want us to do? celebrate his birthday. And a bunch of college guys, yeah, decide, let's dig into the cake. That's probably a good idea. So we're like, happy birthday, E! And we are, nom, 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 you know. Eventually, he shows up. And he looks, he goes, what's going on? And I can't, I still can't remember. I honestly can't remember if there was anything left for him or not. But it wasn't very much if there was. We're like, hey, dude, happy birthday. <laughs> Eric is a pastor in Indianapolis now. So, E, if you're watching this, I'm really sorry. I'm still sorry for that. Um, 
But that is what is happening in this passage times a thousand, okay? This is a sacrifice. This is supposed to be about the sacrifice of Jesus, and people have turned it into something selfish about themselves. Here is what I want you to grasp about this passage today. It's this. Selfishness and sacrifice can't share a table. Selfishness and sacrifice can't share a table. So as he goes on, Paul goes on to say, let me bring you all back to what this thing is supposed to be about. In verse 23, he picks up with this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul says this is what it's about. When you gather and you celebrate this Lord's Supper, it's about Jesus. It's not about you. And it's also about the community that you're forming as well. It's also about you collectively, not you individually. Augustine or Augustine, depending on what tradition, branch of Christianity you're coming from, was one of the early church fathers. And he had a sermon about communion that he preached from this passage. And he noticed something that I thought was very revolutionary about this the elements that we take together. He said, even the elements of communion are communal in nature because the grapes grow in a cluster together and it takes more than one grape to make a bottle of wine. It takes many, many grapes. And just as there are hundreds and hundreds of grains of wheat that form together to make a loaf of bread, that's an illustration to us too of how many of us there are that it takes to make the body of Christ as well. And so this is about Jesus, and it's about us together celebrating that sacrifice of Jesus. And then Paul goes on with kind of a a stern warning to the Corinthians in this passage. In verse 27, he says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. What does that phrase mean, unworthy manner? Um, It's not the you as an individual are unworthy, because I don't, it doesn't matter if you, this is the first time you've ever shown up to a first church service, or if you're the dude on stage who is sitting on a stool preaching to everybody. All of us are equally unworthy to receive communion together. Each of us. There's no person in this room who is worthy of it. But what he's talking about is the manner in which they're taking it. The divisive nature, the selfish nature in which they're going about this. He's saying if that's the attitude you're taking into it, you better watch out because selfishness and sacrifice can't share a table together. And then Paul goes on and he gives some solutions to it. So he gives two real solutions to the problem that they're facing. In verse 28, he picks it up and he says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat 
and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. He doesn't mean taking a nap. He means like you've died. Um, but if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in, the, in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so we'll not finally be condemned with the world. So the first thing that Paul says is examine yourself. Before you rush into communion, that was part of the problem that the group of people had that were abusing communion. They were hurrying to it. They were, the Greeks says they were eating before they ate. It was they were rushing into it. So before that, check your heart. We're, we're talking this week as a church collectively, the spiritual practice of confession. We need to be confessing what's there inside of our hearts, looking inwardly and what's happening beneath the surface of our lives. Um, if we're in the 80s, I might say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's, that's what Paul is encouraging us to do as we enter this idea of communion, is be very aware. Now, now you say, John, how about this idea of the, there were people weak, sick, and some people have died because they were taking communion wrong? Explain that to me. I can't. Other than to say, it's a serious deal. Communion is actually a serious thing that we're entering into right now. Now, as, as a church, we do not believe that the bread is the actual body of Jesus and the cup is the actual blood of Jesus. We believe it's symbolic. But just because something is symbolic does not mean it's not serious. It's very serious. And so we should have this attitude of reverence when we come to the Lord's table, when we come to communion, this attitude of, wow, I need to be looking beneath the surface of my life. And then Paul finishes up this passage by saying this, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you, eat, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. Paul is saying this is about being together. This is about togetherness, not about independence. It's not just you and God. Yes, it is you and God, but it's also us and God. And sometimes I think that's where we miss it in our society is that we don't have an awareness of this is about us and God, not just me and God. And that's what I would invite us to gather into together today. Because some of us know the pain of what it's like to enter a meal by ourselves, even to be surrounded by others, and yet feel incredibly alone. You know, for some of us, we might even harken back to our school days. For me, I remember when I was in first grade, I hated school. I was a shy kid, and for the first couple of weeks of school, I just did not have any friends. And so I would come home and I would cry, and I would say, I'm not going back to school. And my mom would say, well, why? And I said, because I don't have any friends. And I would sit alone, and I would eat alone, and there were people around me, but I felt really alone. And so I remember my mom saying to me, 
but we're going to pray about it. And she just took me aside and said, we pray that John Mark would find a friend. There would be friends for him at school. And I can't remember how long it was, but it wasn't too long, and this kid named Scotty Hoffman came up to me. And Scotty remained one of my friends for a long time. And he's what would, you would, back in the 80s, we would have called him a husky kid. But he was just so jovial and friendly. And, and we used to eat together and talk together. And he became my first friend at school. I wasn't eating alone anymore. And unfortunately, I feel like for some of us here, we can kind of go back to those school days when we're sitting even in, in the pews at church, we can feel like we're back at school, like I'm surrounded by people, but people don't really know me. And I feel like I'm eating alone. And that's the opposite of what we want to have happen this morning. Because selfishness and sacrifice can't share a table together. And so this morning, we've orchestrated the whole morning to really kind of be a part of this celebration together. And I've asked the elders of the church to actually serve communion this morning. And there's a couple of reasons why I did that. The first of all is these are people who are charged with leading our congregation, and they're selflessly sacrificing their time and energy to do that. And I want to honor them as a congregation to do that. But secondly, um, as elders serve communion, this is an example of what it is like to live in the, to serve, to lead in the family of Jesus. Leading in the family of Jesus is serving. To lead in the family of Jesus is to serve. And so there's a very much a visual illustration of that. And there'll be ushers who are coming down here, and we're going to take communion together as we go around, and you will be led to one of these places around the auditorium where you can get the, the bread and the cup. And together, what I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to actually apply this passage. Don't take the bread and the cup then. Wait. So you could be the first in line. Go back to your seat. Sit down in your seat. And we're going to wait to eat together. A very practical way that we're going to apply this passage together this morning. Okay? I'm excited about doing this together. Now, I also want us to be checking our hearts before we just rush into this process as well. So you might be in a spot where you say, you know what? I, I, I need to confess some things to God. This is the opportunity to do that. You can even have people pray for you. We have a prayer room that's right out of those doors right over there. If, you, if you're like, I need somebody to pray over me right now, or even after the service, we have prayer ministers in that prayer room who are more than happy to do that for you. Um, but there could be someone across the auditorium that you go, you know what? We just aren't right, and I need to make it right before I enter this table together. Because Jesus tells us, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, go be reconciled to that person first, then go make a sacrifice to the altar. So if you know that's happening, I would just encourage you, make it right before you take part in the Lord's table together. So ushers, would you come down and you will um, 
be charged with setting people on the right direction. You're going to the ushers will show you which way to go. You'll actually make a big circle and then circle back to your seats as well. Elders, you can make your way to the elements as well at this time. Church, this is an opportunity for us to take this seriously. This is an opportunity for us to really consider the body and blood of Jesus shed for us. Let's take it reverently. Let's take it enthusiastically, and let's take this together. I'll come back up and lead us when it's time, but for right now, let's all do the business that we need to do beforehand, okay? Let me just pray for us really quickly. Lord Jesus, we are about ready to celebrate your body and blood shed for us. Jesus, this is about you. This is not about us. Thank you for your sacrifice. Would you reveal what you need to reveal? Would you, would you call out what needs to be called out in our hearts? And Lord, we want to be united with you and with each other. Would you do that this morning, even as we're partaking together? So thank you, Jesus. Amen.